Welcome back to the program, 10.06 in the Rocky Mountain West. We're glad you're with us here on the uh, Around the House show. Another hour to go. We have email, live email at aroundthehouse.com. And we also, of course, have the phone calls that we would prefer. If you want to check in with us on the phone, it's 303-713-8255. That's the telephone number. Vis-a-vis uh, -vis our call from Greg in Pueblo West, which was just before the top of the hour, uh, insulation standards uh, do vary from place to place. Uh, there's a, a lot of conflicting uh, agencies and authorities that are involved in saving energy, particularly when it involves new construction, starting with the Department of Energy, the Environmental Protection Agency, and state uh, authorities, local authorities, because most places, uh, cities and towns, have their own building code uh, folks that, that uh, enforce the building codes. And uh, there are there's a model energy code that Congress passed back in the 90s that gave us those wonderful low-flow toilets that we all love. And uh, so insulation standards, uh, they can vary from place to place, uh, statewide and uh, localities. And, of course, the most... Uh, the most severe or the most demanding standard would apply. So uh, Greg thought maybe over in uh, Fremont County, over uh, west of Pueblo, perhaps they wanted uh, higher standards than most of the cities along the Front Range now require, which I believe is still an R38 in almost all jurisdictions. But it does help to call the local building authority. And if you're going to build uh, a house on your own, uh, it's, it's helpful to have a relationship going with the local building people, go in and talk to them when you get your plans approved and you can ask these kinds of questions because there are local variations that tend to be more strict than uh, than perhaps the statewide or federal requirements would be. Uh, for instance, there are national codes like the NEC, the National uh, Electric Code. There's universal plumbing co and mechanical codes, the international building code itself, which involves actual construction, used to be the uniform building code, and on and on and on. It's a little confusing, uh, but the IRC, the International Residential Code, is still the one that controls uh, most of the construction in the areas that are where you're listening to this program right now, but you need to check with your local building uh, authority. Uh, let's see here. We've got an email. This is from, this is from Randy. Quest Plumbing in a Modular Home is the subject. We bought a 1981 modular home and a pro handyman suggested we watch out for the Quest Plumbing. What can you suggest? Quest Plumbing is a, a euphemism, if you will, or another way of talking about polybutylene plastic plumbing. Uh, and it's probably a good idea to replace it. It doesn't get better with age. It gets worse because the chlorine and oxygen in the water supply tends to eat away at the fittings of polybutylene plastic piping. We thought it was a good idea at the time. It came along in a, roughly 1979 and was with us until the, uh, actually almost to the mid-90s. And there were, there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of homes that had Quest Plumbing, uh, which is a brand name. Uh, it's Q, uh, I don't know if it's Q-E-S-T, if there's a U in there or not. Anyway, uh, uh, Quest, the gray stuff, the gray poly uh, polybutylene plumbing it's not good to have in your house. As a matter of fact, if you have it in your house, perhaps your house is built in the 80s and you put it on the market, chances are because the home inspector will discover the polybutylene plumbing, you'll be asked to change it to uh, modern either copper or PEX plumbing. PEX is that modern plastic plumbing that we 
we uh, we don't seem to have trouble or issues with. But the Quest or polybutylene gray plumbing, it was I believe it was invented by the Shell Oil Company, and there were millions of dollars in class action lawsuits because there were catastrophic leaks. The fittings would just suddenly burst under pressure. And of course, if you're not home, then that means a flooded house. And so those houses, those homeowners sued under the uh, under this class action suit, but it expired uh, in, I think, 2000 was the last uh, available uh, time for you to hop onto that class action suit. But many of you still have the polybutylene plumbing. You can recognize it. Uh, houses built in the, uh, from, as I say, 1979-ish to the mid-90s. If you've got gray water piping in your house, you have the Quest or the uh, polybutylene plumbing, and you probably want to change that ultimately. There are companies around that uh, employ drywallers and painters and carpenters as well as plumbers that can do a one-stop shopping deal for you to replace your polybutylene plumbing. They can come in usually just in a day uh, and substitute modern. Usually these folks are using the PEX plastic uh, plumbing. And uh, once that's done, not terribly expensive, not what you're thinking, usually uh, somewhere around four to seven or eight thousand dollars which uh, you know, I mean, it's not chicken feed don't get me wrong but it's not like you have to rip walls and ceilings down they can usually thread these pipes through narrow spaces and cut slits in the sheetrock and when they're done they can patch it and tape it and paint it and it'll be like it never happened so uh, it's uh, something that needs to be done this is uh, plumbing that as I say ages poorly and there could be a catastrophic leak at every, any time. If you have the Quest or gray polybutylene plumbing in your house, I suggest you put water alarms uh, around, particularly in the, in the furnace room, utility room, crawl space, near the laundry, any place where there might be a leak, make sure you have a water alarm there, and you can connect it to your alarm company through your, or do it through your cell phone. Uh, there's lots of ways to get alerted if there's a water alarm emergency at your house. But to answer your question, Randy, I've taken turned a short story into a long one here, but yeah, I would if you have a the Quest plumbing in your modular home, I would probably get it changed. In a modular house, typically it would won't be nearly as expensive as a stick-built home because you have access underneath and it should be a just a day's project for a good plumbing company to replace it with modern plumbing. PEX, which is PEX, it stands for cross-linked polyethylene. This is a plastic piping that's chemically very different from the polybutylene, and most of the builders are using it now, uh, and seems to be trouble trouble free. If you go into a uh, house that's under construction, you'll see uh, you won't see much copper anymore. You'll see the either it's milky white or red and blue, standing for hot and cold water lines all over the house with with special metal fittings and the plastic plumbing. It's easy to run. You don't run the risk of burning the house down from soldering copper pipes. The labor is a lot less with it because you can snake plastic piping around corners and up through hidden spaces so you don't need an elbow or a T uh, every few feet like you do with copper. So it's easy to put in. It's quieter than copper. It can be bundled together inside the wall cavities. So modern plastic plumbing, if you have the PEX plumbing, it's a pretty good idea. So if you have... The old polybutylene in your house, no time like the present to get it replaced. A good home, if you can't identify it yourself, it's easy to do. Let me spend a couple of seconds on that. If you just simply go down into the utility room and look at the water heater, you'll see, uh, you'll probably see 
uh, some copper plumbing coming out of the water heater. Uh, and then it, if you have the, the Quest or the gray polybutylene, it'll begin just a foot or two above the water heater and snake off into the rest of the house. It's gray in color. Uh, it uh, it'll, might say Quest on the side of it, on a little stamp on the side of the piping. But uh, if you do have it, then you need to replace it. Start getting bids to get it replaced uh, because it will leak eventually. It, these leaks are not fun. Uh, and uh, I'm, you, I don't want you to go through that because uh, even though it might be an insured loss, uh, it's very catastrophic for you and your family. You can go, there's a website, and I don't know if, I haven't checked this website in a while. Uh, it's called PB, like Papa Bravo, pbpipe.com, and you can find all you need to know about polybutylene piping. If you have it in your house, it's a good idea to get rid of it. 303-713-8255 is our telephone number. And live email at aroundthehouse.com. We'll be right back. Stick around. From your faucet to your furnace, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. 19 minutes after... 10 o'clock, good to have you with us here on the program. Here's an email from uh, a first name, Juke, an unusual first name. Anyhow, you know who you are. It's about a water heater. I'm going overseas, going to rent my house out. Our low-boy low gas water heater is 17 years old. We want to replace it before I leave. I called around and was told that I need to put an electric one in because of codes. I was wondering uh, if it's easier to... Uh, put the electric water heater into the garage so it might make it easier in the future. What's your opinion? Well, it's not a code thing, really. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a manufacturing problem in that they don't make low boy gas water heaters uh, anymore. They just don't, and uh, I don't know. Why, I'm not sure. I know exactly why they quit making them. This is about 15 years ago or so. So if you have a low boy in your crawl space of your house and it's gas, you want to stick with it as long as you can because heating water with gas is much cheaper than heating it electrically. But if you have to change your water heater and you want to stick with a low boy, which is like a 36-inch tall water heater, you have to switch to an electric one, which, you know, is not horrible. You have to run an electric line from the panel down into the crawl space that you didn't have before. Uh, but that's the story. If you want to... Uh, some people will uh, will dig a pit in the crawl space. Literally, you can dig like a uh, hand dig. You have to hand dig it and just about a three-foot pit, put some concrete blocks at the bottom of it, uh, and you have to be able to retain the dirt in the pit, you know, so it doesn't slough into the water heater. Then you can put a regular stand-up, big, big boy, regular tall gas water heater uh, in that pit. But if not, you're going to have to put an electric one in. I would not... Uh, to our emailer here, I would not put it in the garage because electric water heaters are uh, are expensive to operate. Electricity is three or four times the cost BTU for BTU of, of natural gas. So every gallon of water you heat is just more expensive. So you want to put a, a blanket around your electric water heater. But I would keep it in the crawl space. The garage is colder usually than the crawl space. So the warmer the space for your electric water heater, the better. But you're going to have to change it because they just don't make gas low-boy water heaters anymore. I never, I did research years ago into why, and I never got really a good answer for that, other than the demand was probably not what they wanted to justify, because uh, you can picture uh, the whole manufacturer's assembly line would have to be different for low-boy versus high-boy or a regular tall water heater. So 
Um, anyway, that's the story. If you got a low one and it's gas, you got to replace it with an electric. So I would hold on for dear life a gas low water heater till I absolutely had to replace it. Let's talk to Jr. in the Springs, listening on KRDO. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Hey, good morning. I just want to throw a couple of comments. Love your show, by the way. It's Thank so you. informative for so many people out there. But yeah. the low boy situation with gas, the gas manufacturers, the liability is so huge. Having that low boy down into below the water level down there, a lot of them had like uh, cement uh, storage areas that you put them into with a drain, and then they'd clog up and uh, you know, drain, you know, that drain would fill with water and had all kinds of problems. Um, so now all Pikes Peak Regional Building and many uh, regional uh, departments, uh, of course, require the changeover to the low boy electric, and it's not a real big uh, changeover. Yeah, but but um, but, but Jr. They but they as far as I know, they just quit making them anyway. The manufacturers did. Yeah, there, well, there wasn't a big demand. You know, all the older homes that had the crawl space, um, you know, they they. Um, you know, there wasn't a big demand for them anymore, you know, and, and plus the liability with carbon monoxide um, sure. and, and all the lawsuits that were happening. Uh, they said, no, you know, no, no more. You know, we're going to switch over to a low boy, but it's going to be electric. Yeah. And, 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 we don't and have by the way, anything. you're absolutely right. New houses, uh, builders that build new houses with crawl spaces, put a regular water heater, but it's usually in a closet in the garage. So exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to throw another comment to uh, the lady that called in about the disposal, how they wanted uh, uh, you know, some information on installing that disposal. Make sure you knock out the little knockout when you connect your dishwasher hose to that. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, you're going to have a flood. Yeah, I've gotten when, calls about I've gotten calls about that. Yeah, when you, get, when you, when you okay. pick a disposer out of the box, that hole is plugged up until you unplug yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah, very good. You bet. Well, listen, well, thank you. Love your show, man, and love to get on every once in a while. Just yeah, to, I'm in the uh, business. Yeah, that's, that's what I do, and I uh, love to throw some comments out there to help people out. Are you a plumber? Are you, Jr.? I am. I do uh, plumbing, electrical, and hayback. Yeah, okay. out here in the springs. Yeah. Well, we, nice. That's good get, feedback. Yeah, I hope you'll call on, again. Love to get onto your referral list or something sometime. Well, email me, and we can talk about that. And listen, I appreciate the kind words. Thanks very much for calling. Let's ca talk to Jeff up in Montana. Good morning, Jeff. You're on the air. Hi. Morning, Ken. Um, how are you? How are you listening to the uh, to the program? Uh, I listen uh, over iHeart. I live. We lived in the Springs for over 26 years. Oh, okay. All right. Good. And, I'm glad and you listen. I just kind of became addicted to you. Oh, I'm so glad you called, Jeff. Thank you for listening up there in Montana. How can I help you today? Um, it's actually two comments. One was a little bit more on that uh, on the um, LED light thing. Yeah. Uh, I I noticed a problem up here, and so I did some research. It turns out that because of the rectifier circuit in there, because you have to change the 120 volts AC to 12 volts DC, uh -huh. it generates uh, radio frequency interference all the way up to really high up to about 300 megahertz well just and, uh, just uh, because the audience uh may not be the same as it was an hour ago we had a, a caller renee called in and said that she and her husband were having garage door opener trouble it would go up sometimes and not it was very unpredictable and it turns out the led light bulbs close to their garage door opener was interfering they moved the bulbs back a little bit and they're fine so that's what yeah that's what jeff's uh what jeff's talking about yeah right, anyway so what else going on with you well, 
I, I had a problem that I got rectified, but that LED question made me think that maybe somebody else can benefit from this because they have my local propane company stuff. And that's up here we don't have any natural gas because we live on an Indian reservation and they don't okay. want to have pipelines going through it. Yeah. So so we heat and we have a, a, a propane range. And I noticed one day that it was orange at the tips, and it was, wait a minute, this isn't good. So I called the propane company, and they went through their checklist, and they really couldn't help me. Because, and they said, well, just look for a soot buildup on the bottom of the, of the pans, and if you have that happen, then give us a call back. Um, but it's still negative at the back of my mind because it's supposed to be blue. And so I went online, and I found out that if you use a cold water humidifier, the ultrasonic humidifiers, uh -huh. and you have minerals in your water, those minerals will turn the flames orange. And well, I didn't believe it at first. So you, you're but, saying, uh, hey, slow down just a little bit. You're saying that the particles from the cold steam humidifier get in the air and get into that stove? Yeah, and they're part of the air that gets burned along with the propane. Huh. Well, and I'll I, be. And I, I didn't believe it, so I put the humidifier right by the, the range and turn the range on, it was blue, turn the humidifier on, turned orange, turn the humidifier off, back to blue. And, <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes. And I, I called the local propane uh, supplier and he said, after a bit brief pause, he goes, in 25 years, I did not know that. Thank you for that information. Well, everything so, is interrelated, isn't it? And, um, you know, you it's, it's nice to have uh, curious people like you around to find this stuff out for us. I um, uh, Do you have any idea whether the same thing would apply? Probably not to a central humidifier on the furnace. Uh, I, I would, don't know. I, I, I'm curious about that, but since we have radiant heat floors, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, probably not, because I noticed in a central humidifier in my furnace, for instance, all the minerals get deposited on that screen. Well, that's pretty interesting. By the way, do you are you in a modular home, Jeff, or a regular stick-built house? Oh, we're in a stick-built house. It's about 20 years old. A beautiful yeah. view of Flathead Lake over the town of Oh, man. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, you're, you're near, is it Missoula area? Where are you? We're about, uh, about 60, 75 miles north of Missoula. Okay. A town called Polson. It's a resort town. But, uh, sure. I say that it's just like Colorado. But with oxygen. <laughs> but with what? Oxygen. Okay. Thanks for your call. <laughs> Jeff, I'm glad you listen on iHeart and I hope you'll call again. That's good feedback. I appreciate it. Yeah, three oh three seven one three eight two five five. Yeah, Flathead Lake, uh there's a there's some uh, novels I read uh by James Lee Burke of the Dave Robichaux. Uh, detective novels, and one of those takes place at Flathead Lake in Montana. So that's interesting. 303-713-8255. We'd love it if you'd check in with us uh, here on the program. Uh, here's an email from, who is this from? I've got to look. Tim Tim sent me an email. He's wondering what you recommend to remove driveway oil and fluid stains uh, on the concrete driveway. Here's the thing about stains on concrete driveways. It's kind of like a stain on your blue jeans or on a nice shirt. you got to get to it right away. And if you notice a stain that's been left, say, one of your neighbors or a friend visits and they leave and there's an oil spot or a transmission fluid spot or whatever it is on the driveway, run and get your generic mineral-based kitty litter, the cheap stuff, the Johnny Cat stuff, and grind that into that driveway stain. And sometimes if you get to it right away before it has a chance to soak into the porosity of the concrete slab, 
uh, it'll just suck right into that kitty litter. You let it sit there for a couple of days and brush it off, and it's gone. So getting right to it is such a big deal. If you don't do that, then you need to dissolve it and suck it out with a kitty litter. And we use mineral spirits for that. Uh, mineral spirits, paint thinner, uh, spritz it on the stain and then grind in that generic kitty litter and let that suck right up into the into the minerals of the kitty litter. You might have to do that two or three different times. Mineral spirits, kitty litter, and then brush it up and then do it again. Once the stain is kind of faded, you know, about half the the intensity it was, you know, and, and it it's looks like it's kind of going away, then you can scrub it with some kind of soap-like material, TSP, trisodium phosphate, which you get to the hardware store, uh, Dawn or Joy, full strength, scrub that and power wash it with a with a hose nozzle, you get the idea. Just just scrub it, soap it, scrub it, and, and power wash it off, and that'll pretty much fade that stain. So it's a two-step process. If there's a little residual stain there and you really want to be fastidious about it, get yourself some powdered gray cement in a bag and sprinkle that on there and brush that in with a stiff, bristled broom, and that powdered cement will make the stain disappear altogether. So it's kind of a two- or three-step process but driveway stains if you can get them right away just like as you would with clothing uh, get that club soda on your jeans or or cold water to get rid of a, a stain it's a big deal so that generic cheaper cheap as you can get kitty litter really seems to work pretty well we'll be right back 303-713-8255 right here on around the house Need advice for your home project? Back to Around the House with Ken Moon. Twenty-four minutes before the hour. Nice to have you with us here on the program. Don't forget, podcasts of the program are available. Angie will put them up before the day is over of this show, and they go back about five or six months or so. And you simply uh, there's several ways to do it. There are podcast. Uh, there are various, uh, you know, on your iPad, there are podcast apps. iCatcher is one of them. Uh, if you'd like to use that, just put my name in and uh, on the search bar, and it'll pop right up. And uh, you can also go to my website, aroundthehouse.com, and click on Listen to Podcasts, and it'll take you right to the KHW uh, website, which is our home station in uh, in Denver. And you can see the podcast hour by hour. Usually they're hour by hour, and they go back, as I say, back into the summertime. Uh, so if you want to listen to the program, download them, uh, have at it on your MP3 player, whatever you use to listen to the program on uh, uh, remotely. If you're out walking around, we, uh, we, I'm surprised that uh, because we're just a weekly show here, a couple hours, uh, the, the podcast uh, are, are, of the show are used a lot. And the reason I know that is because when they're not working, I get lots of emails about uh, what, you know, how come they're not working. So I'm really grateful and glad that you that you listen to and download the podcast. Uh, here's an email from from Pat, Patricia. Toilets in the whole house that clog up easily. Do they need to be replaced or is there some other problem like with a vent or something that could be causing uh, that? I wonder if you have low-flow toilets that maybe are from the 90s. You know, when low-flow, here we go again with technology when they first... Uh, came out and were available to everybody. The technology wasn't as good. The engineering, rather, wasn't as good on the low-flow toilets, and they tended to uh, stay uh, not 
not stay very clean, and they tended to plug up easily and so on. And so that technology has gotten, that engineering has gotten better. Now we have 1.6 and 1.28-gallon low-flush toilets that seem to work fairly well. So I'm wondering if you have uh, the low-flow toilets from the from the days gone by when they were first around in the in the 90s, and these were kind of an issue. Tell the family, here's the easiest thing to do, uh, Patricia, is to tell the family to hold that lever down. If you're going to, if you're just flushing liquids away, uh, then you can just flick that handle. If you're flushing solids, uh, tell the family to hold that lever down until uh, the water, all the water comes out of the tank. That's the quickest and easiest thing uh, you can do, uh, and that probably will work. If not, you can go inside the innards of the toilet. Maybe you need to replace the flapper uh, in there. The uh, modern uh, flapper might, uh, if you have, some of these are have mechanical uh, kind of plunger type uh, flappers that let the water from the tank to the bowl, and they're kind of, they're, they're passe, and they're not very well uh, designed. So you might want to get rid of those and put a conventional flapper system in. You can go to the Fluid Master products, flapper and fill valves that work uh, pretty well. Uh, so uh, there's just some ideas for you. you might need to just put all new parts uh, in your toilets. And there are ways to cheat a little bit. You can raise the water level in the tank. Uh, if there's a float in there, you can bend the float arm so that a little more water comes into the tank. I've even seen people put pieces of radiator hose. There's an overflow pipe in all toilet tanks uh, so that when the water gets stuck it won't shut off if the valve won't turn the water off that overflows into this little standpipe and you can put a, a piece of radiator hose on there so the water level can be adjusted to go higher in the toilet. You might just get another, oh, another pint to maybe even a quart of extra water in the tank, which will help a lot because there's a percent of the water you're getting now, uh, even a pint of extra water will help flush things uh, away. So you might have somebody... Uh, a, a handyman type person, uh, take a look at that and see uh, there's some little tricks to get extra water to get in that tank and to flush that away. Just a little extra water will push stuff out of the toilet bowl. But for now, I think if you just tell the family that when there uh, are solids in there to hold that lever down, that's the thing that I think might help the most. Of course, you could buy new toilets. 1.6 gallon toilets were this kind of the standard for many, many years, and they're kind of going away now. 1.28 is the recommendation. There's a water sense program by the federal government, by the, uh, I think it's the EPA, that uh, is uh, now guiding local building departments. So 1.6-gallon flush toilets, which I always kind of liked, uh, are a thing of the past. Now we have 1.28s. Again, they can be defeated. Usually the toilet mechanisms can be changed to provide a 1.6-gallon flush, but they're all a little different. But if you want to do that, you know, have at it. But 1.28 is kind of the, the standard now. Uh, we hope they stop there, but they probably won't, knowing the history of all this so-called so green products in home building. Uh, they never seem to stop. They never seem to quit fiddling with the building codes. And so we always end up with more strict requirements vis-a-vis -vis water as if we're not bright enough, right? Not don't have enough insight to save water on our own. They have to do it for us. But that's another subject that I've talked about here on the show. We won't go into it now. We're going to take a commercial break right now and be back with your phone calls right after this, right here on Around the House.
Online videos can be confusing. Let Ken Moon help you fix things around the house. It's quarter till 11 now, 303-713-8255. In the Springs, listening on KRDL, let's talk to Barbara. Hi, good morning. Hello. Hi, Barbara. Hi, thanks for taking my call. You got Thank it. How can I help? I'm glad you called. How can I help you today? Well, I have a couple things, but the main thing I called about was uh, we have two gas fireplaces, and uh, neither one of those will light, and it's been that way, I mean, many years, and just haven't looked into it. I was thinking maybe the, pi the pilot light won't stay lit. We have real, real strong winds. Uh-huh. But who would I call to check Check that out. Well, in the springs, there's a company down there called Western Fireplace. Western that I, Fireplace? I, that I know about. Yeah, and it's a good company and very reliable and around a long time, so I might call them. So, in other words, you can get the pilot lights lit, but they won't stay lit. Is that it? Well, no one has ever relit them. I mean, our house is like 25 years old. They, yeah. They haven't worked for like 15 years, and I... I'm just guessing that the pilot lights won't stay lit. I mean, the winds we have here are just terrific off the mountain. Yeah. And well, we here's, lost a, a... Let me let me give you a little, uh, you know, a couple of things that, that you could try yourself before you, you probably need to call them, but here's a couple of things you could try yourself. One is to take the, you, you take the glass front off. You have to take the pieces of trim off and unscrew the little wing nuts and so on. There's uh -huh. some springs and little clips and retainers on there. Take the glass front off. You probably want to clean it anyway. Uh -huh. uh, and go to the pilot and, uh, and and clean the pilot light. Get some pipe cleaners or just a, a small s a screwdriver set and scratch it all out and, and clean it. Suck up the residue with your shop vac and so on. So that pilot and the little thermocouple that the pilot flame impinges on, make uh -huh. sure they're, they're very clean. Uh, and then while you're in there, sort of rearrange the logs a little bit. You know, okay. kind of turn them sideways or, you know, just, just switch them around a little so you have a different configuration. And sometimes that stops the wind currents. Put the whole thing back together and light the pilot and see if it will stay on. That's that, I would do it on both fireplaces. You may, the, the gas valve itself may need to be replaced. Perhaps the gas pressure is not letting enough gas flame, uh, you know, stay lit and so on. Isn't, isn't, the flame is not strong enough or tall enough. And that's something for a service technician to try. But try those yourself and see if that helps. Okay, very good. Uh, now, probably need a deck replace. Do you have recommendations for that? Um, not at the tip of my tongue, but if you'll email me and remind me of this conversation, I could try to get you a couple of referrals. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I need to replace some curb in the front of the house. That's all broken up. And I heard you had to have the city, um, okay, whatever you do with that. Do you know if that's true or not? It is I true. If you, if you mess, if you mess with the curb, the street curbing and, and or the city sidewalk, because that city, even though you're required by ordinance to maintain it, to keep it shoveled and so on, the sidewalk does belong to the city because it's outside your property line. So they want to, uh, they want to get involved when you replace or fiddle with those at all. There's a separate department in most cities, like a street department or something that has inspectors. Uh, and, yeah, you, you do need to get the city involved, you bet. 
Okay, thank you very much. You got it. Glad you called. Good to hear from you. Here's an email from Margaret. We're just talking about oil stains on the driveway, and she reminded me of something I should have tacked on in my conversation, but she has a product she likes called Desolvit, D-E-S-O-L-V-I-T, citrus oil-based solvent used on any surface. It was originally a laundry product, bio-friendly, uh, and it's a good uh, product for removing lipstick and grease stains. On the driveway, I spray it on, let it sit, and scrub it off with an old toothbrush and rinse. 100% success. Thank you, Margaret, for that recommendation. I should have also added, there's some other, you know, I talked about kitty litter and mineral spirits. There also are other products that people have talked about. One, you know that Goop, I think there's a brand name, G-O-O-P, Goop, of that gel-like hand cleaner that mechanics used. Some people say you just rub some of that on there and 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 brush it in uh, with some kind of a stiff bristled brush and let that sit for a while. Uh, another recommendation is simply to use Dawn or Joy straight, full strength liquid uh, dishwashing detergent on grease spots. There's all kinds of recommendations here, but here's another one to add to our repertoire: Dissolve It. I appreciate uh, Margaret your uh, your recommendation on that. 303-713-8255 is our contact uh, contact line. Uh, let's see here. Uh, this is uh, from Jim. Uh, this is a conversation by email we kind of started last week uh, after the show was over. Uh, could you talk about the best way replacement windows are installed and insulated? I know some companies just cut out the old window and, act, and some actually remove the old window. Yeah, there are two, really two ways to install replacement windows. Jim, you're absolutely right. Some companies uh, essentially install the new window inside the old window frame. And what that does is cut down on the light and ventilation in that room a little bit, maybe 10 or 15% or so. It's an easier install. It's less expensive and less disruptive. Other companies will actually remove the whole window and the window frame itself, and that requires going outside and removing some siding or some trim, uh, wood trim around, and maybe removing some drywall and that sort of thing. So there's really two ways to install a replacement window, either inside uh, insertion into the old window or removing the old window entirely. And I like the second way, removing the, the whole old window entirely. Now, it's more disruptive inside and out it requires some carpentry and painting and maybe some drywall work and that sort of thing because uh, you do have to cut drywall sometimes and you have to also uh, remove wood trim and maybe some pieces of siding but it gives you a bigger window uh, essentially more light and more ventilation into that room and the reason i like that better and even though it is a little more expensive labor wise is because how often do you replace windows Maybe once in your lifetime, you might replace a whole set of windows, or if you're going to stay in that house, you know, once every 20 years. And so if you're going to do it very seldom, you might as well do it the right way. And it's a little more expensive, admittedly, but you, you get that full light and ventilation in, the, in each of the rooms of your house. It is more disruptive. It does take more time, but I like that method better. Uh, now, there are some implications about uh, environmental concerns. If you're in an older house, uh, there, there's no doubt there's some lead paint and asbestos implications that you're going to have to deal with no matter what. But I do like the install where you remove the entire window because you just don't do it that often. 303-713-8255. We'll be right back right here on Around the House. Stick around. 
From your faucet to your furnace, Ken Moon has solutions around the house. Five minutes before 11 o'clock now. Good to have you with us here on the program, 303-713-8255. And as we usually do this time of, uh, of day of the show, at, towards the end here, we're going to talk to our friend Barry Miller, who's uh, one half of the Barry uh, and Larry Real Estate Show on, at 1106 on our flagship station, KHOW in Denver. Barry, good morning. Good morning. Hi there, Ken. Hi. Any movement this week? Interest rates, last week, weren't we around four and three-eighths? Yes. On a 30-year fix, is that about the same? It's about the same. The big movement is buyers continue to buy, buy, buy. Yeah. Sellers aren't coming out early enough. More homes on the market would help sellers. Why now? Why the? Why do we only have a week or two of inventories? The builders just can't keep up with uh, supplying new inventory. Is that part of the issue? Uh, it's still part of the issue. Back to the very bad legislation that got changed last year. Builders are going to need two more years in Colorado before they get caught up. There was legislation that said to any smart builder, don't build. Anybody could sue you anytime for anything. Mm. That legislation got evened out last year, but it takes builders a year or two to get the inventory going, yeah. get the lots purchased and housing, condos in particular. And, and so we're still a very tight inventory, and yet it's true in Portland and Seattle also. Well, you and I are old enough. I know the sellers are in the catbird seat now, but sometimes uh, that swings and buyers in, in a year it or two does, or three might be. It always it, swings back and forth. It, it does swing. And really the hottest market on the front range is the springs. Wow. Okay. Yep. Well, listen, Barry, thank you, and you I wish you guys to have a great show. Thank you uh, so and, much. Uh, tell Larry I said hey, and I'll talk to you next week. Will do. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Bye-bye. Barry. That's Barry and Larry, Real Estate Show, 1106 on uh, in, uh in Denver. I got a, uh, just a, uh, we got about a minute or so here, and I want to start this conversation. Uh, great show, says um, Ron. On the subject of modular homes, are they as good as stick-built homes? Well, Ron, it depends what you mean by by good sometimes modular homes and by the way it's you really need to start by defining terms manufactured homes and modular homes the terminology is used interchangeably but uh, they're built under different standards there are hud uh, urban housing urban development standards uh, uniform building code or irc standards some modular homes of course are built to the same standards as regular stick build homes and usually those are hauled in and set on a foundation uh, some manufactured homes, of course, come in on a set of axles. They are different standards, uh, and uh, but it depends on on what you mean by good. The construction is closely monitored in both cases. Uh, the stick-built uh, IRC or building code houses tend to be a little stronger, a little more substantial, and more expensive. So in some cases out in the country where it's a very expensive to build, it makes a lot of sense to have a manufacturer, a modular home out there because they're a lot less expensive. Getting a yard of concrete from the city to the country is expensive. And one of the ways around that is to get a good modular home from a reliable dealer. We'll see you next time. Angie, thanks for your help in the control room. God bless. Have a wonderful week. Please say a prayer for the folks in Florida. And we'll see you next time right here on Around the House.